I'm Gregory Berg. The following morning show interview was recorded and initially broadcast back in 2018. Enjoy. We're going to be spending the next few minutes of WGTD's morning show with Michael Phillips. And Michael Phillips is the movie critic for the Chicago Tribune and uh, is one of my favorite critics of any genre. And uh, I appreciate each and every opportunity I have to read what he has to say. And uh, by the way, he has been a critic uh, for the Los Angeles Times, St. Paul Pioneer Press, San Diego Union Tribune, and the Dallas Times Herald as well. The reason I reached out to Michael Phillips and the reason I'm so glad that he responded with uh, interest in being on the morning show is the fact that he made passing reference in a recent uh, recent uh, uh, critique or review of a movie to having uh, been from either Kenosha or Racine, and he's kind of from both, actually, uh, born in Kenosha, <laughs> raised in Racine, and uh, kind of made this offhand remark in this uh, review, and I had no idea that, in fact, Michael Phillips originally hailed from these uh, this neck of the woods. So I, I reached out to him, and as I said, uh, he very kindly uh, responded that, yes, he'd be happy to be part of the morning show. So we're going to be talking a, a little bit about his background in terms of of uh, his memories of Kenosha and Racine, and then, of course, spend some time talking with him about the work that he does as a very highly regarded film critic. Michael Phillips, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Well, thank you for that gracious introduction. I appreciate it. I am really, really happy uh, to do this, and I am a a big, big fan. So uh, let's get that capsule biography out of the way if we can. Uh, Again, if I have it right, you were born in Kenosha, raised in Racine. Tell us more about... uh, your early years and what you remember about uh, southeastern Wisconsin. Yeah, it's a tale of two cities. I'm the toast of two southeastern <laughs> Wisconsin cities. I was born in 1961 in Kenosha, and at the time, uh, my folks um, were living above my uh, grandparents in uh, Kenosha there on the 7th Avenue, 7749 7th Avenue. And uh, my dad was going, I had just gotten out of the Army and was going to Marquette for uh, graduate school and got a business degree. And uh, so we spent the first couple of years uh, in Kenosha, and then uh, three years, actually. And then in 64, we moved up to Racine, uh, got our first house, uh, uh, and my dad got a job at Johnson Wax, as many fathers did. (laughs) That's a, a, you know, that was, it was and is a dominant uh, company up there. And um, yeah, and then, and then the rest of, um, uh, the rest of my uh, life up through the end of high school, and you know, a few years beyond that, we were spent in. Both well, my folks in Racine and my grandparents, uh, for you know, the, through the end of their lives, respectively. You know, we're always uh, down in Kenosha, which was fantastic to have them that close. And uh, you know, I drove by Carthage. Uh, I don't know how many hundreds of times, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, burgers at the spot, and uh, you name it. You know, um, uh, it's uh, it's it's a great. You know, I get back a lot because um, I, I still have a lot of friends that we try to get together with over the holidays when they when they come back from various cities uh, where they've ended up new york or appleton <laughs> uh and you know we try, try to have a meal at uh, either the hobnob or uh you know the corner house and we're seeing you you, you know it's, uh, it's great to get back wonderful so what was uh what interested you uh, in in those childhood years as you were growing up and in those interests would we have seen any hint of uh, this professional life you've enjoyed as a highly regarded critic. Yeah, well, it, you know, it was, it was kind of sheer technological luck that in the days of pre-cable, 
and pre-VCR uh, back, uh, you know, back in the 60s that, you know, if you're growing up in Racine and you're kind of getting interested in old movies, well, here you have everything that's playing in Milwaukee on the, on the networks uh, and the stations up there, and then everything we were getting, everything that was uh, beamed out of Chicago. So it was just a fantastic, kind of a fantastic uh, place to, to get, get your early education in, in the, you know, Hollywood cinema. And I was, I was crazy about the movies from the beginning. Um, yeah, you know, and, and my folks were uh, happily indulgent about all that. And, you know, when I got a little older and got interested before the driver's license, uh, you know, a very key period, you know, when you're dependent on others to get to places you want to go. Um, yeah, you know, my folks and, and then, you know, for older friends in high school, we'd run up to Milwaukee to see a Hitchcock play at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. We'd Occasionally, going out to Chicago to see a double bill of something, you know, the fine arts or something. You know, they were they were just great. They were hmm. great parents, still are, and uh, um, you know, all that all that kind of led to, you know, the the reason that I was typically the kid inside watching the Glenn Miller story when my brother was playing basketball. <laughs> and so, uh, you've already kind of answered the question I I was going to pose next, which is, did you have sort of uncommon film interest that is i mean it's one thing for a let's say a 14 year old boy to love the movies it's another thing right. for a 14 year old boy to go out of his way to watch citizen kane versus yeah. star wars or whatever right i mean 14 you know that's an interesting age because it's you know you're you're you know you're you're in high school by then and then you really are starting to see kind of your first you know, in my case, you know, your first sort of more adult stuff, more R-rated stuff. And that was a pretty, the 70s were a pretty good period for that. I remember seeing all kinds of stuff. I mean, that, uh, you know, arguably maybe a year or two ahead of schedule in terms of my maturity. But, um, you know, to see everything from The Godfather 2 to Chinatown to, you know, Nashville to all kinds of stuff. And then my first foreign films, um, especially up at the at, uh, the Oriental in Milwaukee. Um, uh, which is which is a fantastic venue still. I don't know if you've been up there, but uh, the Milwaukee Film Festival uses that as the home base now, and I believe they've taken over the ownership of it. And it's they, that's a great old movie palace, and I'm, I'm thrilled they they you know restored, have kept it as it was. But um, yeah, I was I did have a lot of you know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I mean you know when Star Wars comes out in 1977, I was probably a junior, I think, junior in high school, and uh, you know that was I saw happily saw that four times. Uh, you know, but uh, but I, I saw that didn't really mean as much because I saw almost everything once or twice if it came through Racine, and then and then I, if I really liked something, I'd go several times. And of course, Star Wars. I mean, that was a movie that was meant to be watched like you're playing at the arcade. I mean, that was the first movie like that, really, and uh, it did change things. I'm not sure it's for the better, frankly. I don't really know if I love the influence, the global influence on entertainment that Star Wars has had, but maybe that's another interview. Right? <laughs> uh, so at what point did the notion occur to you that uh, you not only wanted to go to lots of movies, but you wanted to critique and review lots of movies you know, as a film critic? Uh, we- Right. I mean, you know, we all do, right? We all come out of the movie. If we if we didn't see, you know, we see it with friends or whatever family, and we, you know, we're basically all we're all amateur critics coming out, you know, just trying to figure out why we did or didn't like something. 
but I got to hand everything on that one over to the, uh, the St. Catharines High School uh, newspaper, which was called The Shield. And it, it was kind of, it had these weird aspirations to be more like a quarterly. We had, it was like a magazine we put out. And by the time it came out, everything that was covered in that thing was gone, you know, in terms of, of pop culture. Uh, but yeah, that you know, our advisor, Karen Lewandowski, was just fantastic. She taught a great film class that I took in high school. And, you know, I, 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 I probably wince to think about it now, like, you know, the 15, 16-year-old me reviewing Taxi Driver. I mean, I'm not really quite ready to deal with it. If you don't have your driver's license, if you can't personally drive a taxi, you shouldn't, you shouldn't <laughs> review Taxi Driver. But... But there I was, and you know, along with Jaws and everything else, and, and uh, you know, if if uh, if you didn't have that outlet, if I didn't have the school newspaper, I don't know. You know, this is long before anybody had. You know, okay, I'll start a blog. You know, hmm. you need a platform. You need to get practice and and be for a while. Hmm. We're speaking with Michael Phillips. He is the uh, film critic for the Chicago Tribune, and uh, we are uh, going to talk now about sort of how he does what he does, what it means to have film as one's journalistic beat in the way that you do. Uh, ahead of that, uh, how did you manage to, in a sense, kind of break into this business, and what kind of credentials do you need to have in order to land that first professional gig as a film critic? I'd say if you looked at the the resumes and the educational background of, of the of, of the you know, compensated film critics we still have in this country. I, you'd be stunned at how, how little overlap there is in their experience. I mean, so half of them come out of the English department, a few come out of, you know, who knows what. Uh, hard news, you know, and maybe, maybe they actually did just have the the taste and the curiosity and, and, the, and the writing style to kind of adapt their hard news, you know, metro kind of background. Uh, for something else, that was not me. I could, you know, I'm not. That's not my first. Uh, you know, I've been a journalist all my life, but I haven't done a lot of hard news. But um, uh, I've only written about two things. You know, in terms of as a specialist, theater and film, and it was really useful to be able to, you know, now to look back over the last thirty, thirty-five years and realize that I've been able to very fortunate to switch off here and there and uh, really start out mostly as a theater critic, but. You know, well, I shouldn't say that. Mostly as a film critic, uh, high school, college, and then went up to Minneapolis uh, for uh, the University of Minnesota, and that had again a just fantastic school newspaper, uh, and that's that's where I wrote about theater and film the first time. That's 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 where it all starts. But you need a it helped. I should, you don't need it, but it helped to have a really good culture market to cover. And just figure out what you're good at and what maybe you're not so good at, and that was that was Minneapolis-St. Paul, um, and uh, and it's, it, it was that, that's really did, that's what did the trick, frankly. And um, I was nice to get back to movies because by the time I had arrived at the Chicago Tribune in 2002, I had done mostly theater criticism with some other entertainment writing and a lot of film writing here and there, but mostly as full-time theater critic for almost 20 years and I thought you know I really would like to get back to film and um fortunately they were uh, they were interested in making a change and uh it, it all worked out and a lot of the rest of it was just pure gravy and then you know I got to know Roger Ebert uh, as a colleague and a friend and 
and then he took ill and they needed somebody to replace him on the at the movies tv show and so they had me and a.o scott from the new york times alternate for a while and then they had me on for the rest of the season and then uh, tony and i took over a year later after another iteration of the show and we had a, a year of our own on, you know it was all just kind of great great fortune you know to, to kind of fall into that end of it because you certainly don't think about that when you're uh and you're just writing another review on deadline. Right, absolutely. And, of course, in doing that, you are, in a sense, uh, following in the legacy of probably your most famous predecessor at the Chicago Tribune, namely uh, the late Gene Siskel, a real legend uh, when it comes to film critics. Right, right. I mean, Gene and Roger, I never knew Gene. I never got to know Gene because um, uh, he was, uh, unfortunately... I was not at the Tribune when he was uh, when he was still in Chicago and still alive. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've I've gotten to know Marlene a little bit, uh, his widow. But uh, it's it's yeah, that that was again just just an absolute uh, kind of a magical fluke of its time and its moment that you, that you could have in the late seventies, early eighties. These two. Uh, very uh, unconventional TV stars, <laughs> yeah, uh, whose taste in sweaters alone would pro- typically rule them out from uh, national fame. I think. <laughs> uh, but you know that show just just took off. There wasn't anything else like it. Their their friendship and their deep rivalry was absolutely uh, authentic, and I think people knew that. And uh, and you know it, it just it, it did something that uh, no show had done before and i think it'll be i think it'll be very hard to ever recapture that um because the world has changed too much i think i, I just think now people mm, you know if if there is if there is uh, a market for that kind of uh, analysis you know kind of like quick hit analysis on television i'm not i'm not sure what the form would take but of course we have tons of really good film podcasts out there. And that's really kind of the new frontier. And um, some are very good and, and, you know, some aren't. But but I I happen to, I'm, again, lucky to be a frequent guest on one of the good ones, Film Spotting, which is uh, down there at Chicago Public Radio. And that's been going for almost 15, I think, 15 years. Hmm. What would you say has changed most for you personally in terms of what you do uh, first of all, in terms of how you look at movies and how you tend to dissect them, I mean, what, in a sense, kind of matters most to you or what are the kinds of things that that maybe bother you now that once upon a time didn't bother you or the, or the things that seem just seem more important and seem worth talking about uh, yeah. versus maybe once yeah. upon a time? Yeah, that's a good question. That's, uh, that's a couple of, there's a couple of things that come to mind there. It's. I'd like to think that I didn't have radically different priorities about what what did or didn't uh, excite me or really, uh, you know, really frustrate me uh, before I had kids. But you do, you know, you, you, when you when you're around different young people looking at uh, a multiplicity of screens. You, you kind of, kind of, you can't help but notice that, you know, what what's kind of catching their attention and keeping it, and how healthy is it, and all that. And I'm, I'm a very liberal kind of 
you know, I, I err on the side of uh, uh, a lack of caution, frankly, in terms of like being being a cop about what they watch or any of that. And I, I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm just sort of reenacting what I enjoyed as a as a kid growing up as a teen. My folks didn't really you know police too much of what I was up to, and you know, in terms of like what the content I was seeing and all that. But now, of course, it's a very different world. Anyway, that that has affected my writing. I think. I think. There are times now, frankly, just as a just as a citizen, where um, if, if we've had one too many school shootings lately, or uh, depending on who's in office and who, who you know, uh, kind of how I feel, the, which direction the country's going in, I, there's certain kinds of R-rated action movies, or even PG-13 action movies, that that where I just think, you know what, this isn't helping anything. It's not a very good movie. I, I've seen this movie a million times. There's no new interesting uh, pr- uh, sort of directorial eye or, or way of staging violence or action that excites me in the right way instead of the wrong way. And I just think, you know what, this stuff is kind of toxic. And I've, there are times where I, I feel that now and then Pauline Kael at The New Yorker wrote this one. She's just, you know, I just need a vacation from the gunfire for a while. Hmm. And, that, and it, maybe that does mark... I don't know what that is. Not a, it's not a mellowing because I don't feel like it's a mellow time. But um, you know, it does. You change. You know, the movies don't. The movies don't change. But your relationship to whatever you used to love and whatever's coming out this week, it, it's not. You're not the same person you were 20 years ago. That's absolutely inevitable. Hmm. So, how does it work in terms of? what you're going to see, what you are going to review. And I'm pretty sure that we uh, sometimes see movie reviews uh, in the Tribune uh, that are not written by Michael Phillips. Oh, yeah, lots of them, yeah. Because, I mean, you know, you're getting, in some weeks, you're getting a dozen, 15 movies opening. Right. And there's also uh, an increasing interest on 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 my part and also the part of my editors to... You know, like why why be snobby about television? There's so much good work on so many platforms, streaming device, everything. You know, on television, so much good writing, so much good acting, everything. That it's it's just been crazy not to pay more attention to it because all these a lot of these creative artists are switching back and forth constantly between television and film, and I and I'm trying to do more of that. So all of which means you need to you need to roll in a lot of uh, a certain amount of wire reviews from either our, you know, uh, you know, whatever, whatever wires we subscribe to, typically the Los Angeles times or the Washington post. Um, I like to just look at, okay, what's opening. Okay. What are the four or five or maybe six that I really want to do? Uh, and will, will the, will the screening schedule for those things accommodate the writing deadlines? Because we, you know, more and more, we don't see these things, uh, very far in advance. We see them only sometimes two or three days before the opening. So it tends to be almost like a doctor's shift at a if you're a if you're an intern at a hospital or something where or uh, where you're between Monday morning and Thursday morning is when basically the week's stuff gets seen and written about. So it's those are very long days and nights for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and early Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then you and then you just have to regroup and move on. Right. So where and under what circumstances do you watch the films that you review? 
Uh, are you seeing them on a big screen? Are you seeing them by yourself? And are you typically watching them only once? Uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is and this is good. I like the variety. I, I we, uh, once or twice a week, I am seeing things on. I say typically Monday or Tuesday night with a with a preview crowd. And I like that. I don't like seeing movies alone all the time. I just feel I get a little itchy if I don't see it with an audience, which is how they're meant to be seen, right? Uh, but there's also other films that we see uh, at the downtown Loop screening room uh, just off Michigan Avenue, uh, seats like 35 or 40. These are typically 10 a.m. or noon screenings. And then there's another kind of third of what I deal with that I'm getting on either DVD or more commonly uh, a Vimeo link or streaming link of some kind from this more like specialty art house foreign language material. Uh, and those I get to see on my own time, uh, you know, often early morning. I mean, I, I, it's not uncommon for me to knock off a movie uh, before the kids get up and the day starts. So I like the mornings. And my wife was also a Tribune writer. Um, you know, we're often up early and just sort of, you know, it, it, it's a nice quiet time to get something done. Hmm. And um, it's, it's it's three different ways like that. And that's that's how it works. And are and you... Sorry, what, was the, what, and, you what was the third question on that? Oh, uh, and do yeah. you watch them once? Do you once, watch them only yeah. once before you write the review? Yeah, the majority is, I'm afraid, only once. But this is the great virtue of, of going to a film festival or two, um, if you can afford it, uh, like Toronto, a big one, you know, where you can see a lot of stuff in five, six days. That gives you a great sense of, like, okay, what's coming up in the next six, eight, 12 weeks? Uh uh, now, uh, you know, what, what films am I really, yes, I really responded to that or I really, it's an important film, but I hate it. And I got to figure out better why that's great because by the time that movie opens in your market, um, it's often a month or two or much longer, uh, away from when you saw it first at the festival, but you get to see it a second time then when you, when it gets closer to the press screening, you know, in Chicago, uh, closer to the week of opening and, um, that's really useful to see something twice. It's a luxury. Hmm. How hard is it for you to come up with your numerical rating of a film? Uh, and, <laughs> and I think typically your reviews, uh, uh, the, the very best films are four stars. And That's right. And, uh, one, once in a while we see zero stars or, or, or maybe half a star when something's really pretty dreadful. Uh, right. How difficult is that? numerical rating for you to to sort of create because I, I ask that because a lot of times when we one of the things I love about your reviews is that they tend to really be pretty nuanced and very very thorough and, and I think if I was thinking about a film that thoroughly I feel like in some ways that sometimes would make the matter of then simplifying it to a simple number not all that simple Right, that's a good point. Um, you know, I think I think honestly, no matter what kind of taste you have, Greg, as a moviegoer, I think if you let let's just run this scenario. You see, let's say you see two movies a week, hundred movies a year. Uh, I would guess that for most people, to you know, fifteen twenty of those hundred, uh, really not very good. I mean, even you know, after two beers on the couch, it's not worth free. Even if it's free, it's not worth seeing. You know. Yeah, 15, 20 kind of down there. But then you got 20, 25 out of those 100 that are really, really pretty good and, and well worth full price, whatever that is these days, you know, anywhere from, you know, 8 to 15 bucks or something, you know, but it, yeah, if, you know, 20 of those. Well, that leaves about 
50-55% of what you see at the theaters all year somewhere in between inspiration and disaster, right? So how often do you come out of a movie and just say the words, well, it was okay, right? I mean, that's not, that's not an uncommon response. So that, what I'm saying is that 50% of my life is dealing with mixed reviews, right? Somewhere in that sort of two-and-a-half-star range, which does not mean dismissible, doesn't mean lousy. Uh, by our definition on a star, it means, you know, two-and-a-half two stars means halfway between fair and good. That, you know, it's not, it, might be, it might be a movie for you. It might be something you enjoy. But, you know, so two-and-a-half is kind of where a lot of these things land, and you have to find a way, which has not been easy have to find a way to kind of live with the fact you're going to write these mixed reviews a lot and you got to try to find a way to make them interesting and not just indecisive. Hmm. I was really intrigued by uh, a, a recent instance uh, in which you returned to a film that you had already reviewed and that is uh, the most recent version of uh, A Star is Born. Oh, yeah. Uh, which has yeah. had several different... Uh, uh, film adaptions made of it, and uh, and this one most recently uh, with with Lady Gaga, and uh, you gave it uh, three stars and and right. wrote a really interesting review. And then uh, sometime later, a- an article appeared in the Tribune by you in which you sort of revisited the film and quoted extensively from another critic named Lindsay Romaine, uh, who had uh, a, a more negative feeling about the film and, and, and had a take on it that obviously really intrigued you. I wonder if you would mind yeah. telling our listeners about this, uh, this in a, not exactly reappraisal, but uh, this instance in which you felt uh, compelled to kind of share with your readers uh, another critic's thoughts ab- about a film that you yourself had reviewed. Yeah, that was that was kind of a tricky instance, and and uh, I was glad that I was able to do it. But you're right; it, it doesn't happen that often. Where I, mean, I basically like that film quite a bit, the new Star Is Born for, with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, as you say. And um, it was I hadn't quite figured out exactly what some of some of it in the storytelling and the way Cooper wanted to steer the story. I, I hadn't quite figured out in that review exactly what made it less than amazing or terrific for me, but certainly good, satisfying, you know, there's something about that basic story that is, is gold every time at the box office, every, every single, I think every single version of stars born has found a huge audience. So there's something very appealing about the basic kind of fairy showbiz fairy tale melodrama at the heart of it. Right. But then I read, you know, and this is this is thanks to social media for however uh, ambivalent I am about Facebook these days. Uh, an old college friend of mine was a pastor up in Appleton, Steve Savides, just mentioned this. Yeah, I just read this interesting article down at uh, uh, Austin Writer, and uh, you know, it really kind of chimed in with some of, some of my problems with the new Star Is Born. And I read it, and I thought, you know what? He's absolutely right. This is this is a very this is a really sharp take, and uh, don't agree with a lot of it. Uh, do agree with some of it, and I'm, you know, I thought it was worth kind of throwing out there. But um, it, that film had already, by that point, really become kind of a talking uh, water cooler kind of movie. I mean, a talking point for a lot of people. It was a big hit. A lot of people had seen it more than once. Um, and I thought, well, you know what? This is a, it's a, it's an interesting phenomenon uh, that it's still with us. This story, 
And now how does this film really deal with kind of the addiction stuff and, you know, the male-female relations and, you know, just this particular relationship between these two characters? And that, that her, she got at some interesting points, and I just kind of wanted more people to read them. And, you know, I don't know. I just really, I, I really believe in that role, I guess, as a critic more and more. As just, you, you're kind of, you're not, you're not just sort of, you know, harumphing your way through the official opinion. You, you want to kind of keep the conversation lively and a little bit, you know, a little bit unpredictable. And I just thought it was a good idea in that case to kind of say, look, this here's, a, here's something you probably haven't read and mm. it's worth reading. Yes. And I, I quite agree. And one of the things that jumped out uh, in terms of, of what you quoted from that is uh, a line in her review where she said again about the film, uh, a star is born. This isn't a love story. It's a horror story. Yeah, and I, fi- yeah. I just find that really intriguing because I, I suspect that most people going to that film would never walk out of it thinking that. Uh, no, I know. And, 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 that, and that's an extreme. Yeah, right. But it's an effective, that's an effective hyperbole, I would say. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I mean, you know, it, that, that opinion, Lindsay's opinion, and I don't know, the, I didn't know the writer before, uh, before I talked to her for that story, but uh, it, you know, we're not, she's not asking people to take the movie as a documentary or, or a, um, a, a, a kind of gritty, realistic portrait of a, of a, a marriage kind of racked by, you know, uh, opioid and alcohol addiction on one end. Um, of it, it's it's not it's not that kind of movie. It's it's much more, um, you know, kind of a mythic, melodramatic, you know, weepy. And that's the it's trying to make you, and people are walking into that movie crying. You know, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, they don't even wait. I mean, I, I just I just talked. Uh, we talked about it in a class I'm teaching down at the University of Illinois, and I mean, a couple of the people in the class, and they're young. You know, they were. They were like, I actually had to leave the theater because I was kind of, the sobs were so convulsive, and I was not alone. So, I mean, this film is really nailing people emotionally. Interesting. Now, what is it telling you uh, beyond that? And that's, that's the thing. I think the power of movies, and especially <laughs> melodramas that have a lot of music in them, uh, they're designed to kind of give you a, a, a massive kind of almost you know cathartic, messy, emotional experience. And then maybe you think about them three weeks later, about what's, what they're actually up to or what they're saying. And that's really crafty that way. And I, I just thought, well, let's, let's take another look at it. Hmm. I, I really appreciate the fact that, 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 that you did. Uh, when you see a movie that you really think is terrible and – you and absolutely predictable. Uh, do you, nevertheless, out of a sense of professional obligation, watch it to the very end, even if you sort of feel like you almost wouldn't need to? I mean, there are rare occasions where we haven't figured out yet exactly which ones I'm covering and which ones we're taking from, you know, the the other writers in other cities, uh, and, and there are. There are occasional scenarios where I watch a little bit of, let's say, two films. Okay, I'm going to do either this one or that one, you know, for the Friday section. Then you watch 20 minutes of it, and you just think, well, eh, you know, eh, no. But but more often than not, 
these things are kind of set and decided and you're kind of you're committed you know and and uh uh, you see it through, and you know, as a civilian, where I stay, I, yeah, I increasingly know, but I'm not, you know, that that's a that's an alternate universe. You know, <laughs> I'm uh, if I'm committed to to uh, reviewing uh, Adam Sandler and the Do Over on Netflix, uh, no matter how painful, um, uh, no matter how excruciating that may be, I, I you know, you, you owe it to to the filmmakers to see it through, and. You know, I'm not saying you typically get surprised, but now and then you just see, and this is how we, I think we all respond to the movies anyway. Uh, a not very good movie, even a lousy movie, can be kind of momentarily saved by, oh, at least so-and-so's in it. You know, like so-and-so, Maya Rudolph shows up for five minutes. All right, well, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a complete waste of time that, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm thinking, oh, God, it was a horrible film with, uh, most McCarthy and uh, it was like it was a really raunchy Muppets type movie called The Happy Time Murders, an awful film. But you know, it's got a couple of funny people in it that saved it from the zero star. Now, you know, I don't, I don't remember if it was one star or zero stars, but all I remember is that Maya Rudolph showed up and it's like, okay, for three minutes, I don't hate the world. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is that a bad film can still be interesting to write about, even if it's not interesting for a regular person to watch but right right but right. but, but uh, the reason a film is bad those reasons could be many and varied and writing about them can uh, that can be delicious fun for well, a critic it is i mean you know you, you want to have the right kind of fun with it i think i mean i think i, I i've seen i've read some really juicy pans uh, that some people have written about films they just hated that kind of wear themselves out by the second paragraph and and they're kind of like the the punch drunk prize fighter who's just kind of coming out swinging way too hard and too wildly right away and never never lets up and then that you want to you want you want to pace these things properly it's a, it's a form of storytelling i guess these reviews no matter how short some of them are uh and how stupid some of the you know the some of the movies might be you're dealing with but um you want to it's storytelling you want to pace it right you want to kind of hold your punches for just the right moments and um it's okay it's 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 there's different kinds of bad you know what i mean i mean there's plenty of <laughs> I, i'm no snob about that there's plenty of quote bad movies i have a perfectly good time at and it doesn't mean they're you know good or high-minded or anything but you know i, I have a, I have, a, I have an enormous appetite for trash like most of us do and you know, if I mean, I always I always joke that if Tremors came on TV, I always end up watching 25 minutes of it. You know why? It's just a giant earthworm movie. I, I don't know why. I, you know, it's uh, uh, so sue me. Right. <laughs> a couple more just quick questions. Thanks for being yeah, so yeah. generous with your time. I'm speaking with Michael Phillips, who is the uh, primary film critic for the Chicago Tribune. So when you watch a film and then write a review of it, do you to any extent try to separate your own kind of personal gut reaction to it in terms of the kind of films you personally like or don't like versus how good this film is apart from just your own idiosyncratic likes and dislikes about uh, movies or or does that not make sense for a critic and do you just write a review and tell us whether you like it or you don't like it and why well, it's it's a good it's a good you know it's good practice to be honest about your biases. 
and uh, and it's it's perfectly legitimate to say and try to express why. That's always the key word in criticism is like not just having the opinion or throwing it out there, but why? What's the evidence? Give me some details. You know, um, uh, you know why you felt that way. I, I it, it happens often where I'll see a film that is technically uh, you know quite accomplished and is in many ways a well-made and effective film. And I personally uh, resent or hate even sometimes something about it. And, and often that just is kind of what sort of story it's telling or what sort of messages are encoded in it. And, you know, that that's already right there. You have good fertile ground for an interesting discussion because you have to, that's, you, you're going to have to hold these two, reactions uh, in your hand at the same time and and be honest about it uh, it's uh, uh, it's 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 why you need to kind of realize that criticism is never objective but it's informed subjectivity just like an editorial on the on the op-ed page in the newspaper uh, and if you don't make an interesting vivid, uh, uh, well-researched, hopefully, arguments about why you felt the way you felt and think the way you think about it later, then then it really is just a bunch of generalities and hot air. And um, I think when I look back at some of the reviews that are less successful, if I happen to reread them a few months later for some reason or other, uh, it's because I just never really got, there wasn't technically anything wrong or inaccurate about the review, and I basically sort of would agree with the opinion in it, but I just never got to any interesting reasons for it. And that's really it. That's really it. Just picking your right, picking your best arguments and, and making them in a way that, you know, hopefully allows people to kind of like, you know, kind of chime in with their own opinions as they read it uh, and, and just think about a few things. That's all. I'm, that's all I like to get out of good criticism uh, in any field. It's just um, you learn a little something, and then you sort of think, "Well, I don't agree with that, but uh, but I'm kind of glad I I, I I know this other side of uh, the opinions of it out there." That's kind of the star is born issue. It's a, it's it's absolutely possible for us to hold these two things in our head at the same time. I enjoyed Star is Born. I have a lot of problems with it. And then it's just a matter of which foot you want to land on. Right. And of course, I, what you were just saying reminds me that that one way to, one one function of of film reviews is, goes beyond just the, should I go to this or not? Because in, in many cases, I'm, I'm absolutely not going to go to that or probably not going to go to that. I mean... Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, or whatever the movie happens to be, right? But right. but it might still be really interesting to read about it. And just in reading about a film I would never see, it kind of gets me thinking about the films that I do want to see and and why I like them, why certain kinds of right. films speak to me and others don't. The thing I loved when I talked to groups, whether the students or or you know retirees or any any anybody, is that if you if yeah, I love asking people, well, you know, give me a Give me a kind of movie you don't like, or things you really don't like about this. Well, I don't like if it's slow, or if I, you know, I don't like westerns, or I don't, you know, whatever. And you can always, you can always kind of, uh, even just using their film experience, or you know, their the films they've likely seen, you can usually throw back at them. You know, this film is sort of like that, though. Well, now why did you, why did this one work for you and that one not? 
you know, when you talk about a movie that's, say, slow, that moves very slowly, you know, patient movie, and if it's not working for you, it's like listening to paint dry. It's worse than watching paint dry. And it's, you know, there's nothing is happening, and you're just kind of going crazy. But there are movies that are more leisurely paced, methodical in their pace, that you actually fell into and kind of were in the grip of that film. Uh, so, you know, you can always kind of get people thinking about, Oh, that's right. Actually, there's a Western I do like. And, you know, I can't maybe I can't generalize about that stuff. And I guess that's what good criticism does, I hope, uh, is gets away from the generalizations and more just about, um, you know, your, your, you know, what you saw and your enjoyment or your your struggle to engage with it. And, uh, you know, and that often those things do speak to other people's experience, whether they agree with the opinion or not. Last question, Desert Island, three, uh, three movies you can have with you. I mean, that's a, that's a fancy way of asking uh, your personal oh, top man. three. Well, if it's a Desert Island and I was trying to get off, I'd probably, I'd probably want some sort of National Geographic thing that might help me, you know. <laughs> Build your boat. Where I, where I am and get out, yeah. Um, you know, I, I often go back to Singing in the Rain. Mm. Uh, I often go back to, you know, if I was on a desert, if I was alone on a desert island, I'd probably go back to uh, Carl Dreyer's The Passion of Joan of Arc. And I'm not a religious man, but that that is a film that is just staggeringly uh, uh, incisive about, you know, just sort of religious fervor and belief. Uh, it's very interesting for me. And so those two, and, you know, I, what, I, what would I throw in beyond that? I'm not sure. Um, probably just some sort of collection of home movies of my family. I would, uh, you know, if I was alone, I would want that. <laughs> uh, what a sweetie pie way to finish out. <laughs> Well, Michael Phillips, I, again, I so admire the work that you do. Uh, I, I think you exemplify what, what, what good film criticism is, is all about, and I appreciate especially that you have a, a high bar of excellence that you want from films, and yet you're not an uh, exceptionally cranky critic. I mean, and you're not afraid to, to say when you uh, have really enjoyed a film, and I just appreciate that warm open-heartedness that must come from having grown up in Kenosha and Racine. That's the only you know explanation. It did, man. You know it did. It came from, you know, Larry and Mary Gallagher's house down there on 7th. You know, I, I just think they uh, they really did. Uh, I remember seeing movies like Nashville, you know, with my grandmother, and that was not, you know, that was, that was, that was an edgy sort of you know, typical 70s disillusionment, you know, for, but, you know, she just, she was, she was up for it. So I, there's something about there's something about the people you grow up around and kind of their relationship to movies that does sort of end up informing your own. But, yeah, thanks. I really appreciated this conversation. Thanks a lot. Michael J. Phillips, the uh, chief film critic for the Chicago Tribune. Thanks again for your time. All right. Be well. The preceding interview was recorded back in 2018. Michael Phillips remains head film critic for the Chicago Tribune, and you can continue to read his marvelous work there. I'm Gregory Berg.